essential requirement uh, is the ability to deliver. So when, when you when you enter the the domain of transformational projects, you you have to make them feel confident that I mean you are not just uh, having an idea without the ability to deliver because I mean that's typically the image of of, of HR. HR is either a, a, a dreamer or exactly. a doer. You have to position in the middle. It's right to dream, but it's also important to define which are the minimum viable product to showcase to the top management that you are moving in a direction that is, uh, I mean, driving you to a point where the transformation can happen. The, the other point uh, is uh, the leadership. I mean, you, you have to lead uh, the discussion when discussing the projects. Uh, you are not just to follow what is coming from the business line. You have to challenge and to lead uh, on the topics that are affecting people and the organization. Welcome to the World Class Leader Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high performance and leadership advisor, executive coach and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. In today's episode, I'm going to share a recording of an amazing conversation I had on LinkedIn with uh, a very good friend of mine, Carlo Albini, uh, who is the head of people and organization innovability at Enel Group, an energy company based out of Italy. And we are going to talk about HR, innovation, sustainability, and value. So we really went deep in this conversation. And you will see, sometimes we stop asking questions to the audience and we answer some of them. So it's a little bit unusual, but essentially there is a lot of value there. So I hope you enjoy and let's give it a go. Carlo, thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Andrea, for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Carlo, would you like to, to say who you are in 30 seconds and what you do in NL? I will try, even if I'm an HR guy, so it's <laughs> difficult to be synthetic. Uh, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm a child by chance. Actually, I started my career path uh, as a business consultant, and then I got in touch with uh, the HR world and uh, ended with the inner world. And at the end, it was a, a nice wedding, and we we both uh, find each other, and and I found my my real passion for I mean for people for transformation programs, integration, uh, organizational development, a lot of things. Excellent. Would you like to explain first uh, what is your role in Enel and what is this idea of creating innovability uh, yeah. unit or lab, as I like to say? 
Yeah, uh, we have to go back uh, not not that far uh, in uh, October 2020, when actually uh, I had uh, the opportunity to, I mean, uh, uh, take this role that was uh, coming from uh, a, the sharing of an idea uh, by Guido Strata, our chief people and organization officer, and Ernesto Ciorra, our chief innovability officer, actually my, my two bosses, that were, uh, let's say, reflecting on the need that we had as a group to reinforce the, I mean, our positioning in terms of uh, uh, sustainability ambitions uh, for the HR macro processes and targets. And on the other side, uh, the, the need to, to scale up somehow uh, the open innovation culture, uh, disseminating it through, I mean, the, the group uh, and uh, uh, taking the opportunity to integrate it uh, with another big, I mean, uh, uh, challenge that the group was taking a few years ago, that is the agile transformation. So putting together open innovation and agile transformation in, uh, in a kind of an uh, idea factory that uh, is able to link, uh, I mean, from the idea creation to the execution through agile uh, in, a, in a very effective way, business transformation. Uh, that were the two main uh, uh, pain points. Novability in NL, it's, I mean, the merge of innovation and sustainability, but actually is uh, uh, stating the positioning uh, uh, of the group towards innovation. Innovation is not standalone. Innovation is aimed at pushing forward the sustainability targets. So that, that's, I mean, the meaning. That was the meaning of that. And uh, I'm very curious to understand uh, this journey because uh, it's not in, at least in my experience, not in uh, an usual journey, especially for HR leaders. You know, they are much more involved into the day-by-day in more traditional learning and developing opportunities. So you have decided as an organization to go into a very, very important topic, right? Because you mentioned innovation, but also sustainability. So yeah. what have been the major findings of this work? Yeah, first of all, uh, you were, I mean, very, very right in mentioning the fact that usually HR process owners are very uh, let's say, committed in the business as usual and in business continuity. I mean, they have to, to do, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of stuff uh, to, to support people, to support uh, and empower the organization. I mean, to make things run, uh, starting from the talent attraction to the, person, <laughs> to the personal administration. I mean, you have a lot of processes to be managed and uh, actually both for innovation and sustainability they i mean it's difficult to have their focus mm. on uh, i mean uh, the the development of of a portfolio of projects that are going beyond what is i mean the the emergent uh, need that they have and for sustainability uh the i mean they tend to stay in a linear curve trying to uh, let's say have incremental improvements in their KPIs, in their targets, but sometimes they need an external point of view that is forcing them to raise the bar a little bit more. 
according to what I mean, we can uh, I mean understand from the external market, from competitors, and trying to push a little bit more the attitude of the line managers, for example, for gender to uh, stress their uh, requirements in the hiring in order not to stick to the traditional profiles, but to have a broader, uh, let's say, view on the opportunities that the candidates can give. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, despite the gender. This contribution was something that we learned by doing. We have learned by doing. Because as usual, when you create a new role in a big corporation, uh, you have to understand first, which is your way to position yourself in the organization to create value for the other for mm. the other players because i mean uh, uh, you don't have to create uh, unuseful overlapping with process owners that that was the main uh, goal the main objective that we had as a team and then we started moving uh, on different uh, directions uh, we understood how to shape an hr observatory for example uh, not the usual best practice sharing. HR managers, the HR process owners are used to do with other companies. I mean, they are exchanging, they are very open in exchanging best practices, leveraging networks of HR managers. What we proposed them was not to uh, see the status quo, but uh, to engage other companies in co-creating something new. Mm. giving challenges to them. For example, uh, usually, especially in Italy, we have, I mean, a traditional approach to HR planning, which is based on cost, uh, very, I mean, financial uh, and cost. Costs and headcount that that are the main key drivers. Uh, We engaged in the observatory, a a working group uh, in uh, uh, trying to figure out how to have a strategic planning of competencies in the medium long run. Because mm. actually, as, as a company, you and, and since you, you love the energy sector, uh, you, you perfectly know uh, we are uh, in the middle of a perfect storm with the energy transition. And uh, figuring out strategically what the energy tra- transition means for the HR means to understand which kind of competencies evolutions you, you will have in the next five to 10 years. So that, that's, that's why, for example, uh, the reaction from the process owner of organization and planning in our company was very, I mean, very enthusiastic because I mean, that was a need for them and sharing the need with other companies and figuring out how to create, co-create and co-design a possible solution to, I mean, to bring to experimentation in the, in the next future by, by the end of the year was, I mean, was a, a way to, to answer to a, a, a real need. Yeah. And that, that, that's for uh, one of the examples. Yeah, that's very interesting because that, you know, brings the, all the conversation about the skills of the future, what's going to really look like the future from, from that perspective. But I'm going to stop for a second. So we got an interesting question from Ayesh. He's asking, can you throw some uh, light on metrics to measure organizational success and sustainability? You, you mentioned a bit, Carlo, in terms of 
changing the paradigm in terms of KPIs, what tra traditional way of metrics to measure HR functions? Great question, by the way, I should that, That's yeah. an amazing question because uh, it's encompassing a lot of, uh, of uh, let's say, challenges that the HR is taking uh, while discussing sustainability and the success of sustainability for the organization. From my standpoint, the best and uh, the most relevant uh, KPIs uh, on which we have been working in the last uh, in the last uh, 18 months uh, has been, uh, uh, I mean, the diversity and inclusion domain. Okay. Diversity and inclusion uh, uh, was from the very beginning, uh, one of our first, uh, let's say, priorities. Uh, meanwhile, we were also trying to figure out which, which could have been the, the topics uh, to drive uh, a new employee value proposition to be created uh, to, uh, to reinforce our employer branding. One of the first uh, discussions that we had was, uh, I mean, uh, how can we create uh, uh, the image of Enel as a place to be? Mm. No. Uh, while discussing this topic, uh, at a certain point, uh, we challenged ourselves and we, and we said, let's add another I mean, a small part to the statement, Enel uh, is a place to be for women. Mm. And, and then we started discussing uh, uh, the, the traditional KPIs that you have, uh, an employee journey for women. So from the candidate experience to the, you know, first promotions that you have during the journey, the discontinuity in the journey of the of women within the company due to family, uh, I mean, uh, opportunities and choices, and then uh, uh, how to get back to work, and then how to ensure uh, pay gap and the, the access to top management positions. So. Discussing the journey was a, a way to focus on the single KPIs from how, much, how many girls you have in the long and short list for hiring. How many girls are you actually hiring? How many you have in middle management position, in management position, top management position, and which kind of funnel you have? And here you, you, you are able to see which is the imbalance that is created by the discontinuity that we were mentioning before. So we, we engaged the discussion with the process owners on the journey, not on the KPIs. And mm -hmm. we asked them to reflect on which kind of priorities they had to uh, set for themselves and for their teams in order to uh, be more effective in managing the journey for women. We were able to raise the bar more than they usually did in the past uh, from year to year when uh, discussing the, the traditional sustainability plan that you are, I mean, uh, publishing uh, every, every year. And that, that's one point. Uh, another point on diversity and inclusion was, uh, and I mean, that's, one of my favorite ones, uh, a, a blind spot that we had in the mm. recent past uh, related to the multicultural diversity and ethnicity. Because uh, 
you know, countries like Italy, like Spain, are different from uh, uh, UK or France or US. I mean, they are not used to uh, manage the diversity in of cultures or religions uh, and ethnicity as uh, in other countries. I mean, uh, you have the opportunity to do. And, and this is reflected in the workforce because if you go and take a picture of Enel at uh, uh, the end of last year, just 1% of the workforce had a different nationality. Mm. Okay. That is perceived as a non-issue because, uh, I mean, okay, why discussing ethnicity if the level of the cultural diversity is so low in your company? Yes. But on the other side, we engage the discussion again, moving the focus not on ethnicity, but on the issue of demography in the future of work scenarios. And we try to show our colleagues that actually in the next decade, we will have, I mean, a, a real problems in terms of covering vacancies with just with Italian people or just with European people. Starting from these reflections, we, we said, okay, which is the priority in finding talents? the IT, digitalization, coding. So let's try to focus the two topics in one single action. And let's try to find an op the opportunity to bring refugees to study coding, giving them the opportunity to enter a corporation like NL. And we found uh, an ONG, an international initiative called uh, Power Coders. Uh, we decided to enter as a, as a partner in this initiative, we were asking to enlarge a little bit the scope, <laughs> including the needs. So also young Italian people, women, Italian women that are excluded by uh, the, the labor market or they are not even in education and training. Uh, and we started, I mean, we are starting this month. We launched internally yesterday and that that was a, a, a way of changing the paradigm, changing the perspective, and letting the, our colleagues read the, I mean, the issue from another point of view, not from the strict point of view of the KPI that you have in the sustainability. Yeah. As to organization, uh, strictly organizational success, uh, another topic that is not, it's more, it's not strictly a sustainability KPI. It's to make the organization sustainable, never-ending fight uh, on simplification. <laughs> so we have to simplify the, the, our procedural system a lot together with the simplification uh, and the delayering, for example, of the organization. That, but that, that's very common for that's for quite normal whenever you are going through a major transformation it's adapting your organizational design and it includes as well processes roles you know and all of that in order to adapt with the changes that you are making and that's i think is, is very important because you know you you touch on many different things you know the, the how you essentially approach the gender uh gap in in a very different way than traditional KPIs by, as you said, by describing and following the journey, but also you mentioned the digital gaps and the skill gaps by partnering, you know, with the NGOs and we need, you know, considering as well different cultures. So it's really quite interesting approach of, uh, of a problem now, I don't know what you think, Carlo, but it's a big problem 
really across the globe now, you know, finding those skills that are able then to help organization to transform because there are so many leaders talking about transformation and normally talk about digital transformation, although it's not only that, but the reality, there are no available skills or what organization they're trying to do. They're trying to upskill their own people, but we know that it's going to be a long process, not something that yeah. you're fixing in a day or two. And yes, it's fine for consider future world, what's going to happen in the next years. But if you have a need right now to transform your organization, that is going to be a quite more, you know, quite pressing issues to solve. Sometimes it's difficult to drive the agenda in an organization. It's more like reacting to what the top leadership maybe or the CEO wants to do for organization. How do you think for those people that are listening to us and they're in HR, they want to drive the same level of innovation. They want to drive new initiatives. How can they be more influential internally? So what they need to do in order to, I'm not saying convince the CEOs or the top leaders, but what can they do in order to provide it? Look, there is value here if we do this. Is it through pilot testing? Is it through case studies? Is it through, you know, what, what do you think is a, is a good idea going, given that you're, you're being, you know, yeah. through this process? Essential requirement uh, is the ability to deliver. So when, when, you, when you enter the, the domain of transformational projects, you, you have to make them feel confident that, I mean, you are not just uh, having an idea without the ability to deliver because, I mean, that's typically the image of, of, of HR. HR is either a, a, a dreamer or exactly. is a doer. You have to position in the middle. It's right to dream, but it's also important to define which are the minimum viral product to showcase to the top management that you are moving in a direction that is, uh, I mean, driving you to a point where the transformation can happen. The, the other point uh, is uh, the leadership. I mean, you, you have to lead uh, the discussion when discussing the projects. Uh, you are not just to follow what is coming from the business line. You have to challenge and to lead on the topics that are affecting people and the organizations. Try to figure out which is the best way I mean, to implement something that is bringing value, first of all, to the people and to the organization. Many times, I mean, the, the, the projects that are starting in the HR domain are well described on paper. But when you put them into action in the organization, I mean, you are lacking uh, the activation of people. They adopt, for example, a new uh, way, a new process, but actually they are, keep working in some part of the organization, especially when the organization is big, as they were doing before. I mean, just uh, reporting to you a new KPI, <laughs> but without uh, actually changing things. You must have the ability to sense the level of adoption, adherence to the, to the, to the transformation, to the change. And the minimum viable products are helping you because yeah. you are engaging uh, the, the people that have to embrace the change on small steps. And you can measure them because you can have pilots and incrementally you are transforming things and receiving feedback because actually, I mean, sometimes you are doing something that is not perfect. Many times it's not uh, even good. So you have to take the Get feedback, the feedback. Yeah, and fine tune and change the, the course of action. 
And I think is in my experience, Carlos, what I've seen that's that honestly goes with all sort of transformation. Normally, they are a little bit in the way that you describe, just for the resistance that you expect. So you you normally have a, what is called in change management, you know, the low key impact. So you try with something low, on a, maybe with one function, two function, you test it, you try, then you you get the feedback, you start getting some results and then after that if you have a proof of validation essentially then you go bigger you roll out you roll out the initiative and that's normally the the most typical approach one of mistakes though i have seen in the past is maybe some leaders getting too excited about that specific transformation and they started from the from the first day with a big implementation initiative that normally fail quite quickly yeah. because they didn't measure the resistance how people they were perceiving that and i think the challenge that i see in my personal experience dealing with you guys in hr but also from my personal and also previous corporate experience is you need to really spend time in assessing what level of resistance you have in the organization i always say it's not something negative it's not something because people they want to resist because they say you know two things they resist because change is always pain and they see that whatever change you are making although it has a positive impact in the future can be perceived as a challenging the status quo of those people that have been working in the same way for for months or even years. But how did you manage some sort of resistance internally? So you've been through, especially I think from a communication standpoint, have you worked yeah. hard on that? that? That's an open point uh, every time that you start a new, I mm. mean, a new project, a new program, because the resistance is changing. The, the 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 kind of reaction that you have from from the from people from the organization can be different yeah. i mean uh, uh, for example one a couple of recent uh, transformational elections that we had in our portfolio uh, the new ways of working i mean a lot of companies had uh, uh, this uh, program in the last uh, couple of years uh, ongoing in this case uh, since we were proposing a change in the way teams collaborate, the way teams uh, uh, interpret also some norms, internal norms, like the level of presence in the offices uh, versus the, the number of uh, uh, possible smart working days. You know, In this case, this kind of change can be supported a lot by internal communication. Mm. Because, uh, I mean, uh, it's a matter of accompanying people in a, in a change that is, uh, I mean, a change in behaviors, a change in uh, attitudes towards, I mean, collaboration towards even the, the physical presence in the office. Yeah. So uh, starting from, uh, uh, let's say, listening to them through, uh, let's say, internal, uh, let's say, quick service and responding to them with the guidelines, giving transparency, um, the maximum level of transparency on how the discussion, for example, with unions is going on, how much time they will have to, I mean, adopt these new behaviors. I mean, this is something that you solve through uh, internal communication. On the other side, another uh, big transformational uh, program that we had, I mean, the kind leadership, it is a, a very deep cultural transformation on the leadership style, on the leadership code that we have in, in the company. That's something that you cannot, I mean, drive top down through internal yeah. communication. You have to look for authentic 
activation by people. So you have to identify those, uh, let's say, evangelists, those ambassadors, uh, despite the hierarchy. I mean, top managers, okay, but also people that are more, uh, that are closer to uh, the, I mean, the operating people in the organization, uh, role yeah, models. Those people, they are influencers, the, regardless of the title, right? And that they are, and that's very important in the selection, authentic players. I mean, they are embracing the change in authentic way. And th that's another, another approach. So there is no... Uh, one single recipe, you know, to, to, to address uh, those transformations. So you have to adapt your approach. Excellent. Carlo, I have a few other questions. So maybe the last two. One is uh, back to the, to the minimum value product and the, the results. I mean, you've been, you said that you mentioned that some of these transformation projects have been there for, for months now. So what are the, the results that you have seen so far? Because you, we mentioned a lot about the metrics, but... Yeah. Um, based on, of course, what you can say, what you can't say, but what some some results that maybe you would like to to share, and what is going to be also the future of these initiatives for NL? Now that you have started, you you start some pilots, you have seen some results. What do you think is yeah. going to be how the future look like, maybe in the next three five years for NL when it comes to innovation? One of the best. Uh... Uh, example that uh, I have always in mind is uh, the experimentation we had uh, on intercompany co-working places okay. uh, in the in the roadmap of the implementation of the new ways of working, uh, and that's that's uh, in interesting because it's an open approach. I mean, it's not done internally. We we were uh, I mean co-creating the project with a consortium of other uh, seventy companies. In the, in the count was matching with the idea of a hub quarters. So the idea of a network of, I mean, offices for uh, big cities in order to uh, be more, uh, let's say, flexible with people, not having just the headquarter and people commuting every day for, for a couple of hours. Um, and we did it uh, in the last uh, year. So we launched a number of uh, uh, places, uh, uh, seven places uh, in the country, uh, three were uh, NL, uh, let's say, offices that were open uh, for co-workers that were coming from other companies. But, I mean, the nice, the nice concept was that uh, this kind of uh, co-working place was uh, based on the content that could have been shared and the purpose of doing something together for, I mean, the neighborhood. We have a, someone that is animating, giving uh, content uh, and ideas and sharing it with the co-workers every day uh, in order to not just focus on the day-by-day -day job of everyone, but also on sharing topics that can be of interest and can enlarge I mean, the knowledge of those people. Mm. And then within the little community that is uh, involved in the specific workplace, they were sharing at the very beginning opportunities to do something with a social impact. And then they started, I mean, working together, uh, developing this idea in order to be presented to the municipalities and so on. 
Okay. That's proved because we had in parallel a kind of study, you know, on the effect uh, on productivity, on well-being, uh, on, uh, let's say, the level of activation of people with uh, the University of Milan. We tried to measure some KPIs related to status of these people and the same KPIs with people in the same city that were not involved uh, in this kind of project and that were doing just remote or smart working in another way, in a traditional right. way. In order to understand if at the end I mean, of the experimentation phase, uh, I mean, there was a, a real uh, gap that was created by the experience in the co-working places with respect to the other uh, community. We were, I mean, receiving a good feedback from this uh, analysis. Uh, and starting from this point, uh, we decided to extend the experimentation and prepare for the scale-up. But preparing for the scale-up is, okay, let's try to find other, let's say, workplaces uh, in, in the country. Let's propose the format to the other countries. But we are also thinking internally if... A normal workplace can move from the traditional approach uh, in the way the community is leaving the place and is, uh, I mean, uh, uh, sharing the experiences cross-functionally. And maybe we will adopt some of the tricks that were in the in the experimentation of the intercompany workplace uh, co-working places. Also internally, I mean, in the way we manage usually our uh, offices, trying to test a concept, measuring it, figuring out how to scale up uh, and trying to contaminate, I mean, with the experience of this concept, uh, the other part of the organization wow. so that they are all benefiting from it. Yeah, I love that. That is a specific practical approach of uh essentially really leading a new transformational project. Carlo, the last question is, uh, what's the future for Enel, but also what's the future in general of work, in your opinion? We are studying deeply the, uh, the scenarios for the future of work. We are in the, in, in the perfect storm. Energy transition, digital transformation that are, I mean, impacting the not only the business models, but they are impacting also the need for competencies to sustain the, the change. Demography that is a transversal and is affecting the way you, you, you try to uh, figure out, I mean, how to source talent in the next future. I mean, cope with these challenges. You have, first of all, to be able to include everyone in the labor market, gender, disability, aging, ethnicity. You have to be able to address all these dimensions because from all these categories, you need contribution to the, to the labor market and involvement to the labor market. That said, you have to be very structured and forward-looking in terms of strategic vision in upskilling or reskilling. I mean, that's bread and butter already for the HR functions, but you have to do it strategically, planning the competencies and creating programs that are structured. Uh, the other element that will be recurrent and will be, I mean, something that you will hear every day from now to the next decade, it's uh, the lifelong employability. Uh, somehow, the circularity of talent. I mean, you have to be able to 
create if you are not able to source from the external market to create the competencies leveraging the attitudes that you need for for your i mean uh, business challenges and then you have to nurture competencies and passions and talents of people letting them be very entrepreneurial in 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 following their passions because at the end of the life cycle in your company Anyway, you create value also for the society because the workers, if they are uh, bringing competencies that are not up to date for your company, those competencies will be, uh, I mean, uh, enriching the labor market for, I mean, the ecosystem, even if the workers are going outside the perimeter of your company. That's, I mean, that's closing the circle of the talent management. It's it's a way of giving back to the society for big companies. Obviously, I mean, our perspective is the the one of a big corporation, medium, uh, small companies have other kind of issues. Of course. But uh, big corporations can help also those companies I mean, to, I mean, to raise the bar and to, and to reach a level of maturity, because I mean, it's an ecosystem in the counties. It's a kind of multi-stakeholder dialogue that you have to develop. Love that. that. That is great. And never thought about circularity from a talent standpoint. I love what you say, because uh, by the way, for energy industry, it's just music for the here, because it's, it's you know, back into the concept of the circular economy. We have a question. We are, I was going to wrap this up. But shall we take this question, Carla? It's probably the last one. No, from problem. Christina. no problem. Carlo, which is the, maybe in a short answer, Carlo. So which is the biggest challenge for HR people in the future? I mean, that's probably, <laughs> it's difficult to answer in a few minutes. Many of the topics that I was mentioning, uh, uh, answering the, 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 form, uh, yes. the, the question before, are actually biggest challenge uh, for the HR uh, in the future. So being able to sustain those topics, so say, lifelong employability, upskilling and reskilling and uh, including everyone giving an opportunity to be part of the labor market to everyone i would add something on the technology side i was telling you before uh, starting the the live that i mean we are we are uh, figuring out how to uh, shape the first uh, proof of concept for the metaverse also also in nl that's something important for the HR, trying to understand which is the added value of such, I mean, an impacting technology, even if it's not mature enough, maybe, but figuring out which can be the transformation of the HR processes, recruiting, onboarding, change management. Using uh, the metaverse. Using the metaverse uh, and, uh, uh, let's say, transforming uh, the opportunity of t- technology in a new employee experience on this kind uh, or candidate experience. Few words: sustain lifelong employability of people, include uh, everyone, not just limiting to gender, but dis- disability, disabled. I mean, people with some kind of disability. They are fifteen percent of the world population. I mean, lot of. Uh, uh, potential talents to be engaged. Uh, they have top level of motivation when you engage them. Uh, and then uh, upskilling and reskilling. 
these are these are I think three of the mantras that we have. What what do you expect the HR people should be good at maybe in the, in the future based on what we said? Is under, understanding technology, HR, learning? The, or... the HR people are, are from the technical functions perspective of the HR. They are, I mean, uh, very well grounded and prepared. Yeah. So uh, HR has to do the quantum leap on uh, portfolio management because if you are able to manage the portfolio of transformation projects that you have uh, as a function, then you can be more reliable, more, I mean, uh, uh, credible Um, towards the top management. Exactly. And, uh, and then uh, the, the other topic you were mentioning, uh, Andrea, being able to adopt technology, but changing the mindset with which you adopt technology. A yes. Technology is a transformative one. You don't have to make a violence on the technology to adapt to do all the exactly. processes. Exactly. <laughs> you, exactly. you, you have to design them and then adopt the best technology available to, to, I mean, to make it simple and effective. I've been working with clients on large technology transformation projects, but he ended up, as you just said, Carlo, honestly, to understand how people think and work is more about the mindset of people, how to adapt with technology rather than technology itself. So if you approach this project from a pure technology standpoint, you're going to fail, in my opinion, especially if it's a large, important transformational project, because unless you change the mindset and the behaviors around technology, you won't see the results you're expecting. And then, unfortunately, maybe great technology, then they're not going to make any impact because you didn't change the mindset behavior first. So yeah. I think that is a great sharing. Guys, thank you so much for being with us today. I think we had an amazing conversation. Carlo, thank you so much. I mean, we Thanks it's difficult to speak in 45 minutes about such a big transformation initiative. But I appreciate that you've been so kind and transparent to share what you're doing at NL and sharing your insights and takeaways. But of course, for you guys in the in the audience, feel free to connect with Carlo, connect directly. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you want to uh, make any comments on what you discuss. Carlo, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks a lot, Andrea. Grazie mille. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. And I really hope you got some valuable insights today that you can apply them in your business. As always, I love to hear your thoughts about this episode, so what you like most, but also what else you want me to cover in the future episodes. This podcast is not about me, so I want to make sure that you get what you need in order to be more successful. Drop me an email at andrea at andreapetrone.com for that, or find me on LinkedIn and mention that you listened to this episode. I'll appreciate it. And if you want to support this show, the best way is to tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast, but also to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. This will make our episodes more visible so we can impact more people. And finally, go to my website, www.andreapetrone.com, so you can learn more about me and my work with leaders and organizations. But more importantly, you can take the free assessment and get an instant score of your leadership level and compare your results with world-class leaders. It really takes less than 10 minutes. And by the way, on the website, you can also subscribe for our weekly newsletter where we summarize the insights of all our podcast episodes. Check there as well the previous articles. I think you're going to love them. All right, so thank you again for being here, and I hope to see you next time. Bye for now.